There is no way I could pay my debt to God. People think if they go to church enough, they can kind of pay God off. Or if they give enough money or help enough people. And the scripture says from front to back, you cannot repay the debt you owe to God. No man, the psalmist says, Psalm 49, can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for his soul. For the redemption of his soul is costly and he should cease trying forever that he should live on eternally, that he should not see the pit. So don't think that you can come to God and pay him off. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin isn't trying to do better. No, the wages of sin is death. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott brings a message from chapter 18 titled, A Debt You Cannot Pay. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Peter, verse 21, came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? That's a good question, isn't it? How often? If my brother sins against me, how often should I forgive him? And current, they tell me that in the first century, rabbinical teaching, in other words, among the Jews, the, uh, the rabbis taught that you should forgive three times. And uh, Peter, I think, is going the extra mile uh, when he says, up to seven times? Uh, and before you're too hard on Peter, if you've read ahead... In a, when's the last time you forgave someone seven times? Uh, we find it hard to forgive. But Peter says, Lord, how? and he knew he should. He'd, he'd been around Jesus long enough to know he should forgive his brother. And he knew he was the Lord. And he said, Lord, how, how often should I forgive my brother? Up, up to seven times? And I got to think Peter's thinking, wow, you know. And Jesus, verse 22 said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Wow. This must have shocked Peter. It shocks me. Uh, it's an amazing statement, Jesus said. He raises it from the natural to the supernatural, really. Uh, seven times, and he says, no, really, 70 times seven. He takes it to the, you know, he, and he's not really saying, so start doing the math, seven times 70, 490. Okay, on the 491st time then, I'm going to level him. You know? No, no, it's not, he's raising it, to seven to the what power, you know, just he says 70, seven being kind of the number of completion or perfection in the scripture, and Jesus says 70 times seven. In other words, don't keep track. That's one of the most uh, practical phrases. Uh, you ever hear the chapter, 13th chapter of Corinthians read about love, the description of love? You'll often hear it at a wedding. And I'll tell you, if ever there's a need for forgiveness, it's within the closest of all human relationships, marriage. 
We need to learn to forgive each other. And love, we're told in Corinthians 13, does not take into account a wrong suffered. Christ's love, the love we're to have as Christians, doesn't keep track. 1 Peter 4, verse 8, that's 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5 that I just quoted. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, uh, love covers a multitude of sins. Instead of singling them out and keeping track of the wrongs and becoming bitter, etc., love just covers a multitude of sins. So Jesus' answer is, is amazing. And then, verse 23 and following, he gives a parabolic illustration to, to drive it home. And uh, so he, he tells a story. For this reason, he says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he began to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. But since he didn't have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children, and all that he had, and repayment to be made to him. The slave, therefore, falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. He was unwilling, however, but went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then, summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave, even as I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. So shall my heavenly Father also do to you, each of you, if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Now, um, let me just walk back through this, and I should have probably said, because some of these numbers don't mean much to us, although I think you get the idea. The first fellow owed 10,000 talents. A talent was uh, the biggest denomination of money they had. It was like, so, and then 10,000 was kind of like we use it today. I mean, it'd be like saying a ton, you know, a zillion, 10,000 talents. This guy owed more than he could ever repay. And then when he refused to forgive, we're talking about 100 denarii. A denarii was about 18 cents worth of silver. So maybe 18 bucks, you know. It was about a day's wage, so it's kind of, it's not easy for us to put this in modern money to figure it out, but it was obviously much, much, much less. 
So anyway, let's walk through it. A parable, you remember, Jesus used them all the time. He takes an everyday occurrence, and each of us can read that story. We just did and go, oh, man, yeah, and see. And then he takes this and illustrates spiritual truth. And it seems to me the great truth is right on the surface. You and I are to be those who forgive because we have been forgiven a ton. Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving each other, even as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Ephesians 4, 32. Colossians 3, 13. Forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. So that's what he's driving at, and it's just, it's fitting for Christians, we who've been forgiven. And if you're wondering what a Christian is, uh, I'm glad you're here. Many have come to know Christ right here. Uh, we don't have any particular denominational acts to grind or anything else. We just simply teach the scripture. We want to see Christ in the Bible, Christ-centered Bible teaching, you know, in the marketplace. So here we are, we're looking at, and I ask, what is a Christian? A Christian is one who has found out that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came to earth to die in my place so that God in righteousness can forgive me because God is holy and righteous and he must punish sin. The wages of sin is death. The day you eat of that tree, Adam, you'll surely die. Adam didn't believe God. He ate of the tree and he died that day. He didn't die physically. He was still very much alive for another 900 years. He didn't die emotionally. He was very much ashamed, very alive. And the guilt and shame of sin set in immediately. But he died spiritually. And then, of course, he did die emotionally and physically later. And death has been a constant through the whole race, save one. Jesus Christ, the sinless one, who came and bore our sins, all of them, in his body on the cross and dealt with them and was raised from the dead. This is the gospel. And when I met Jesus Christ, my sins were forgiven, all of them. Now, I'm called to be a follower of Jesus, and I'm called to be one who forgives. Now, let's watch this unfold because, uh, to me, it's very vivid in how it teaches it. Verse 23. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared, and that's a great uh, way of remembering what a parable is all about, how he says, let me compare something to something, to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When you come to a parable, get the main point. Uh, don't try to make it crawl on all fours. In other words, don't try to look for correspondence in every little detail. We want to see what's he driving at here. And uh, he says, when he'd begun to settle accounts, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents, $10 million, maybe $100 million. You know, factor in inflation. When my Bible was printed, it was, the copyright was 1960, and the, the little sidebar says this might be the equivalent of about $10 million. Well, think about from 1960 to now. You know, it's a, the point is this insurmountable amount of money. You could never pay back. 
this guy owed him a bundle, a huge amount, no means to repay. And that's what it says, verse 25. Since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold. In those days, if someone owed you a bunch of money, you could at least sell them into slavery and their family and get a little bit of back on what you were owed. But that's not his point. He just says that that's what happened in the story. But the picture here is a picture of us. There is no way I could pay my debt to God. I can pull out, and we typically think we can. We think, well, I know I've kind of messed up and I, I've made some mistakes, but maybe I can. And so people think if they go to church enough, they can kind of pay God off. Or if they give enough money or help enough people or do things to try to kind of even the scales. And the scripture says from front to back, you cannot repay the debt you owe to God. When we dig into our own righteousness, if we were able to live the most righteous life possible, and all of us, if we're honest, even at our best day, we've got crummy motives, and we've got lustful thoughts, and we've got selfishness, and we've got... But the best we can come up with, even our good deeds, Isaiah 64 says, your righteousness is like filthy garments to me. It's like if I pulled out my wallet, and instead of insulting God by pulling out $30 or something out of my wallet, if I pulled out filthy rags, that's all I have to offer him. No man, the psalmist says, Psalm 49, can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for his soul. For the redemption of his soul is costly, and he should cease trying forever that he should live on eternally, that he should not see the pit. So don't think that you can come to God and pay him off. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin isn't trying to do better. The payment for sin, trying to do some good deeds. No, the wages of sin is death. And the Bible establishes this, and the story states it point blank. There was no way this guy could repay. Romans puts it this way. While we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We couldn't do anything about it. We were helpless. Romans 5, verse 6. Well, notice verse 25. Since he had no means to repay his, and his Lord commanded him uh, to be sold into slavery, the slave, therefore, verse 26, falling down, prostrated himself... Before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. By the way, debtors in life, have you noticed? Debtors are uh, hopelessly optimistic. Have patience, I'll pay you. And it's kind of like saying to someone that you owe $10 million to, I'll give you $18 a month. You know, I'll pay it off. It, it, no. So spiritual debtors, I've noticed, are the same way. We humans, we have this tendency to think up ways that we could maybe pay it off. Whole, whole religious systems are created by man to where you can pay off. Because everybody knows in their heart of hearts, I owe a righteous God. There's something wrong with me. And so whole religions, you know, 
the whole Eastern thought of reincarnation, which is just a myth. It's just something that man made up with help from Satan. But that you'd come back and maybe have another chance to work off your debt. And maybe have an end, and it gets depressing, kind of an endless recycling, you know, that goes on because you, but, but that's a myth. Within the West, there are those who think, well, if, you, if you've got quite a bit of sin, you have to go work it off at purgatory. It's not in the Bible. Um, well, do I remember, I lived in Salt Lake City for four years, and I watched people going downtown with their gym bags and lining up to go in, and they developed a whole system in Mormonism to where you can kind of work off some things by being baptized for dead people. And it's just amazing when you stop and look around the world at the systems of repayment, but the Scripture says there's no way we could repay. But one thing we should do is humble ourselves. Verse 26, have patience with me. Have patience with me. He cried out. And you know the scripture, I was with a group of people earlier this week. And uh, I'll just turn, you, you can just listen to it. It's Isaiah 66 that I, that I began our time together with. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? I mean, heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. You can't build a big cathedral for me, God says. My hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. This psalmist says, Psalm 34, that was Isaiah 66, verse 2, by the way, verse 1 and 2. The psalmist says in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So this guy cries out for mercy, for patience. And uh, the Lord who searches the hearts did more than have patience. Verse 27, the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. He lifted the debt. He forgave it. He released him from it. What a picture of the gospel. Something I could never pay for, my sin. Christ nailed it to the cross and stamped it canceled. It's like he took all my guilt. And Colossians 2.14 says he nailed it to the cross and it's been paid for completely. All my sins. I don't ever want to get over it. This is the gospel. I'm teaching the book of Acts on Sundays. And when Peter stood up in Jerusalem to talk about how the gospel was going out from Jerusalem to the whole world, Jews and Gentiles alike, he said, you know, God has cleansed their hearts by faith, just like he did ours, by hearing the gospel and believing it. The gospel cleanses us. It frees us. We're forgiven everything. Don't ever forget that. This is the gospel that was proclaimed. And uh, notice verse 28 starts with the little adversative, but... 
that slave who'd been forgiven this massive debt that he could never repay, went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him maybe a hundred days' wages. If a denarius was a, a day's wage, maybe he owed him, you know, but, but something so minor compared to what he'd been forgiven. You say, oh, no, that's real money. So minor compared to what he'd been forgiven. And that slave went out and found him and seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you... It's just an ugly scene. He grabs him by the throat, starts choking him. Pay back what you owe me. So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. This should have shocked him into compassion. He quotes him. He says the same thing that he'd said. Oh, have patience, I'll pay back. He pled for mercy. And this slave that owes him a little bit of money, this fellow slave, says the same thing. This should have shocked him into compassion. And it would have if he'd been remembering his purification from former sins. Second Peter 1, verse 9. He was unwilling, however, verse 30 and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. But this is so out of step, so inappropriate behavior. And uh, we can just, even just Jesus just telling the story, you go, wow. And, of course, he's applying it to our lives. So his fellow slaves, look at verse 31. Saw, when they saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and if they were grieved, just think how much the king was grieved. There's nothing quite as grievous as a lack of forgiveness. I was thinking about this. You know, I quoted you Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, he says, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven us. That's verse 32. Verse 30, is, he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. It's just not appropriate for us to hold on to our petty little things that we tend to hold on to. Well, what they felt so bad about it. Notice verse 31. I don't want to lose sight of the story here, but I will point this out. They came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Let me just say kind of by the way, if your brother sins, we just saw that last week, lack of, lack of forgiveness is sin. And so... These fellow believers, they saw this guy sinning, and they went where? Right to the Lord. Perhaps we should say the first step when you see your brother sinning is to go to the Lord in prayer, and then go to your brother. I wouldn't make too much of that, because, but they're side by side here in the Scripture, and you can never go wrong by going to the Lord and going directly to the throne of grace on behalf of your brother. You've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, A Debt You Cannot Pay, a message from our study of the Gospel of Matthew.
If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to AbideInTheWord.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Abide in the Word only remains on the air through the generous contributions of listeners like you. We'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider partnering with us on a regular basis to help us meet our daily expenses. To make a contribution, just go online to abideintheword.us or mail us at Abide in the Word, P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. One of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why God guards marriage so carefully and has such a high view of it is that it has the potential to reflect to this world all around us the beauty of the bridegroom's love for an unworthy bride, okay? And so no marriage will perfectly reflect Christ in the church. It's two sinners uh, trying to live together, okay? But that said, each marriage has the potential to be a great reflection of Christ in the church, and Christ will never leave his church. By the way, let me just say to you, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've repented from your sin and turned to the Lord and cried out for mercy and found him to be your savior. He says point blank, I will never leave you or forsake you. Join us again next time as we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, A Picture of Christ and His Church. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.